Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 entitled Today's News. Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. Highlights of the Old Testament. We're hitting now the minor prophets. The minor prophets are minor only in the sense of the amount that they wrote, not the quality, not the, not the quality that they wrote. The oracle, he says, which Habakkuk the prophet saw, and you find these prophets consistently saying this, not 100% of them, but quite regularly they say they saw it. They didn't read it, they didn't hear it, they saw it. So what do they see, a document laying in front of them? I don't know, I'm just telling you, that's what they say. John says the same thing in the book of Revelation. Wrote down the things which I saw. Of course, he's got all these visions and stuff there in Revelation, so in this case it's just words. So what, what did he see? Well... It's a good question. Don't know the answer, by the way. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, here's this complaint it begins with, How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And thou wilt not hear. I cry out to thee violence, and yet thou dost not save. Anybody feel like your prayers just hitting the ceiling coming back? Why dost thou make me see iniquity? Cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and the justice is never upheld. And the wicked are surrounded by the, or the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Sounds like, sounds like modern news to me. He's reading our newspaper or internet or whatever. Here's God's response. I would say... The response to him, and in some ways, the response to us, we have a similar question. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. He's about to tell him, but he's basically saying... Part of our problem is, is that we wouldn't believe it if we were told. So you're asking questions. Why God? Why this? Why that? Well... Well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it anyway. So maybe that's the reserve that God has with informing us. I don't know. Verse 6, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. This would have been unthankful for Habakkuk. We're going to get to that in just a second. Why it was unthankful. This is the unlikeliest people because he's asking for judgment against his own people. God, do something about these Jewish people who are just nothing but evil and uh, devising evil all the time. Fix it. Why, why is it that the law is thrown to the ground and nobody's doing anything? God, uh, effectively, why aren't you doing something? God says, I'm doing something. But what I'm doing is you wouldn't have expected. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And he's like, who are they, basically? Because that's about really, at this point, who they were, nothing. That fierce and impetuous people, what? He's predicting what they're going to be to seize dwelling places, march throughout the earth and seize dwelling places, places which are not theirs, and they are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. They answer to nobody but themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, keener than the wolves in the e at, at dusk. The horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. Wow, that's some descriptions right there, isn't it? They mock at kings, and the rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. And then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. Those, they whose strength, it says, is their God. Speaking of the Chaldeans, or the better, maybe better known as the 
Babylonian. So this is a great book for us, especially to turn to when we're trying to make sense of today's news, because that's what he's dealing with. Today's news is not making sense to him. I don't get it, God. Why aren't you doing this? And why are you not stopping that? And what are you doing? And then God gives him an answer. He says, because if I had told you before, you wouldn't have believed me, but here I am going to tell you. You wouldn't have seen this coming, and you can be sure he wouldn't have seen it coming. And we have a similar situation we find ourselves in, in my opinion at least, in the world we live in, especially here in the United States. Nothing seems to be certain anymore. Uh, things are crazy. People are crazy. Common sense, as they say, isn't common anymore. So if it's, if it's not common anymore, that makes it not common sense, doesn't it? So the common sense, guys, doesn't make any sense. That's the common sense. That's the universal sense. The common, the common thought, the common uh, mind, it seems to be, best I can tell, it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. There was a day that we could depend on a certain level of decency and reason. Those days are, are officially over, I think. I really think they are. Apart from the intervention of God and His grace and mercy in our nation. Truly. So Habakkuk raises, I think, a legitimate question that we need to answer. Is God in charge of today's news? I'm not talking about their interpretation of these. I'm talking about what's actually happening. Is God in charge of that? And that's an easy question to answer. The answer is yes, but I think we need to get into a little bit more detail here of what Habakkuk is dealing with because I think we have the same struggle that he has. First, before we do that, let's get a little bit of history here. Habakkuk basically, in some ways, is the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would have said, uh, with regards to the book of Nahum. It fits right, right well right at the back of the book of Nahum. Nahum is predicting God's judgment after 100 years. He sends in the book of Jonah. He sends Jonah to preach repentance, or actually preach judgment, but they repented, right? And, and God forgives them, the, the city of Nineveh, the whole city, it says. And then 100 years later, he sends Nahum to preach against them, but this time there's not a way out for them, just straight-up judgment. That's exactly what happened. God raised up an unlikely group of people called the Babylonians who were just a city-state, not allowed to really possess an army, controlled the vassal state underneath the, the Assyrian uh, city of Nineveh, and uh, they uh, held them under their thumb for hundreds of years. Unlikely city raises up an army and defeats the Ninevites, destroys the city of Nineveh, never to rise again. Anyway, this unlikely group, group that God raises up, and so Nahum predicts God's judgment and then the, the, Nineveh, and the destruction of Nineveh, and Habakkuk basically is the, the watershed after that, the, the shadow that's cast by this group that is raised up to conquer the Ninevites, and it turns out to be the Babylonians. This shadow begins to spread all over the Middle East. So let me, let me give you how rapidly it spread. So in 609 B.C., Nineveh is destroyed by the Babylonians. In four years... By 605, they defeat the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish. So the two world-ruling empires, one of them, Egypt, has been ruling for more than half a millennia. And then for 250 years, more or less, the Assyrians that have been ruling the entire Middle East, the unknown Babylonians, rise up and smash them both. Four years. Seven years later, 598, they're marching against Jerusalem. That's exactly what's being predicted here in the back. You wouldn't have believed it, he says, if I had told you, but I'm telling you anyway. Here comes the Babylonians, unlikely. Let me give you just a feel here in North America of what that might feel like if, if, we were, if I was a, sitting in Habakkuk's place and making a prediction about the conquering, if you will, of the United States. What if I told you in 11 years, just a scenario, this is no prophecy. This is a non-profit organization, by the way. 
So just a scenario, don't go off and say, Pastor Bill thinks the United States is going to be conquered. I pray that it does not. But let's say if it did, I had a prophecy for you today that the United States was going to be conquered by another nation in the Western Hemisphere. Which would you guess it would be? Would you guess, yeah, the Canadians. <laughs> but... Well, Ruth, we almost have as many people in Texas as you got in Canada, so y'all better have, although they do have all our nukes up there, so we better watch it. Um, so we're building a wall, you know, in Mexico, of course, they're building a wall up there in Canada to keep us out from coming up there. So, um, so it, it, could it be Canada? I mean, there's a vast land mass. I mean, you could, you could see, at least I could see Canada, I could see Mexico is one of the largest, fields one of the largest armies in the world, in case you didn't know that. What if I told you within 11 years that the answer was not Canada, it was not Mexico, that we were going to be conquered by Costa Rica? Would that shock you? You know Costa Rica is very similar to Babylon and that Costa Rica doesn't have a standing army? You know who's the, who's the army of Costa Rica, guess? We are. The United States is. The UN is. Uh, your money, April 18th, write a little part of that off to Costa Rica because believe me, that's where it's going. So, so as shocking as Costa Rica would be conquering the United States, as shocking more or less as it would be for the Babylonians to do what they did. But they did it. God predicted it right here in Habakkuk. They did it. They became a, a force to rec be reckoned with. They made a deal with the Medes and the highlands of, of Iran. Uh, they got enough money together. They stockpiled arms. And the next thing they know, the Ninevites were sitting on their haunches, and boom, they rolled over them. With that kind of power and energy, up comes the Egyptian king, Pharaoh Necho, meets him at Carchemish. Boom, they roll over them. Seven years later, like I said, they're besieging the city of Jerusalem, exactly as God predicted through the book of Habakkuk. So Israel is, uh, the, this whole issue of Habakkuk, and, and, and I think is going to help us deal with today's news, because I think the things that God is doing is very similar to what uh, then is what he's doing today. We wouldn't have believed it if we were told. So we need to listen to what's happening here in Habakkuk. And I want to give credit to a guy by the name of Freddie Fritz who has some of the points from his sermon I'm using in mine here, and I just want I don't know who he is. But in case you know him, you can say, listen, Pastor Bill used your sermon, so that's great. Part of it anyway. So what's going on doesn't make sense, right? Uh, and, and, and the reason why it doesn't make sense is because we're missing stuff. And there's two misses that we can make when it comes to the ways of God that I want to warn you about, and we need to have in our heads at all times, because these things cause us to miss what God is doing. The first miss we make is the fact that God is mysterious in the ways he does things compared to us. We don't get it. It doesn't make sense from our level of things. The other way we miss it is because we misunderstand what he's doing. So we miss it in two, two respects, mis mysterious and misunderstand the things that he's doing. Let's consider those two things. First of all, God's ways are mysterious. Notice chapter, verse 2. He says, how long is this going to last? Lord, why aren't you doing something? I'm crying violence, and I don't get an answer. And God says in, in verse 5, effectively, well, if I'd have told you, you wouldn't have believed it anyway, right? God's ways are mysterious. They can be very mysterious. Sometimes we miss God because we think that it's supposed to make sense on our level. And it doesn't always have to do that. In fact, I should say, it never has to do that. The fact that it makes sense on our level is just simply God ingratiating himself to us, stooping down. But of what relationship does the, is there ever a meeting of the minds between the sheep and the shepherd? Is there, is there a way that you can get on the same level? And that's what you're asking for? Take your role as a sheep, be grateful for it. We have a good shepherd. Let's trust him. Let's trust his leadership. Let's believe him. Let's believe that he's going to take care of us. What happened to that? 
God's ways can be mysterious, and that's okay. His ways were often mysterious, as in the case of Habakkuk, as in the case of Paul, the Apostle Paul, servant of God, preaching to the Gentile nations, writing almost half the, half the New Testament himself, and yet it says that it was sent to him by God an affliction, a physical affliction, a messenger, he calls it, of Satan. So what do you do when Satan afflicts you? Well, man, we just have a prayer meeting. We get it done. We have a prayer meeting. We anoint the man with oil. We ask God to deliver him. And what happens? Boom, God's faithful, right? God does what we tell him to, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. So Paul knew better than that. He asked God three times to relieve him of this tormenting thing of whatever it was. We don't know what it was. Some think it was an eye affliction. Others think it was other things. But three times he asked him, and God effectively says, stop asking. It's going to stay the way it is because my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to leave you weak, Paul. Is that the answer you would want? So that you could be strong, Paul. Paul was into that. He understood Life's not going to last that long. So I want to be effective for God the time that God has given me. If that's what it takes, then let it be so. Again, but God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? There's not the prayer he prayed. Not what he wanted, not the way he would have done it. But, of course, he's not God and neither are you. So here's a slice, by the way, for current events. Speaking of um, bad and unexplainable things, uh, verse 2, if you look down and put your finger on the word violence, you see that there? That word is a word you know. You speak Hebrew. Did you know that? You say amen, don't you? That's Hebrew. Hallelujah, that's also Hebrew. You also know the words all over the news. Hamas. That's that word your finger's on right now. That's the Hebrew. They picked out of the Hebrew language a word to describe themselves. Hamas. They're the terrorist organization for, for it used to be the PLO anymore. They're called, they're, they're the scourge of the southern border of Israel. Now here's my question. Why are they still able to do that? Isn't God able to stop them? The answer is yes. Why doesn't he? He's just not. His ways are mysterious. We have this group that names themselves violence, just so we know what their MO is. No question. What do you do? Violence. We do evil and wicked stuff. That's what we do. It's their whole message. And by the way, they took the Hebrew name because they wanted to know who their violence is pointed at. Right at the Jews. So the Jews would know. We're coming. Here we are. This is us. Why does God keep letting these guys hang around? Because he does. And that's the only answer there is. God's got his reasons. God is, listen, answering our prayers, but it's not answers necessarily that we're expecting. And that's the issue with Habakkuk. So what's, what's the secret to today's news? Well, part, of, part and parcel with it is God is, does mysterious things, and he's got a right to do those things. They're always good. And you and I as sheep need to trust him and listen to our shepherd. The second reason why we miss him, though, is because his ways are misunderstood. Now, this is a problem that we can correct at least in part. Mis misunderstood, first of all, by the lost world, nothing we can do for them except get them saved, right? But notice the way the, the lost world misunderstood it. So God is saying, listen, I'm raising up an unlikely group called the Babylonians. And effectively, he's going to say here, they're going to take the total credit for it. I'm the one that's doing it. Notice verse 11. They will sweep through like the wind and pass on. And they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. It's my strength, it's my armor, it's my shield, it's my, I don't know, siege weapons, it's all this stuff. Notice verse, verse 15, the Chaldeans, Babylonians, bring all of them up with a hook, talking about the peoples. They're just going to be able to rake through all these nations and catch all these people, gather them up, like I said, like sand. Drag them away with their net, gather them together in their fishing nets. Of course, that's figuratively speaking. They weren't using fishing nets per se. 
Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Notice in their reaction to all this. Therefore they offer sacrifices to their net. Because it's through these that they, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. How awesome our net is, right? You say, well, how stupid is that? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the way a lost world interprets the news. They're never right. So, so back to your, whoever you're watching on television. They're giving you their interpretation. They're lost interpretation of the world. I can't find out why you're watching them. I mean, you've got to find out what's going on, but I mean, their interpretation of stuff, they're lost people. They're clueless people. The only chance we have, now we all miss it, the only chance that we have of getting it correct is the Spirit of God. There's only one group that's got that. The sons of God, the daughters of God, born again, who trust in the Savior and who are born again, thus immersed in the Spirit, belonging to Him and having the Spirit of God. Only the Spirit of God can make sense of the things of God, and that's what's going on around here is the things of God. You may not like them. It may not be all good, per se, but it is it is God who is sovereign over these things, and we need to let him be those things, and the only correct understanding is going to come through his spirit. And Habakkuk, even, even the best of us miss it, right? Here, Habakkuk's a man of God, and he's got questions, and there aren't necessarily answers, per se, but he settles. You need to read the whole book, but he settles with it. He says, listen, I, no matter what happens, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe him. He ends the whole book that way in a beautiful little psalm that he writes there. So, so we misunderstand for several reasons, three reasons I'm going to give you. First of all, we misunderstand the ways of God because our brains are not big enough. What can you do about that? You can't stretch those things. They're just not big enough. We're not able to see. We don't have enough perspective. Habakkuk asks God for intervention, and he's disturbed by the fact that he does intervene, and then when he does intervene, he's even more disturbed by it because our brains aren't big enough to see the whole thing. We can sit back from where we sit and just, in, well, I'm going to point it out in just a second, of, in, in maybe just a minute, of, of how we can see from the perspective of history now as, as it's past, we can see, yeah, God did a great thing there. But from Habakkuk's perspective, it wasn't great. It didn't make sense. We must understand, listen, there's nothing you can do about it because our brains are too small. God is sovereign. He's the shepherd. You're the sheep. Stay in that role and that mindset you're going to be way better off, way happier for sure. So we misunderstand in part because our problem is we have limited perspective. Number two, uh, we misunderstand because, listen, because we think we're God. Well, I've never had that thought, so, so you haven't. So tell me how your prayers are going. Are you telling God what to do? God needs some good ideas. You got an agenda for God, right? Here's some things. Isn't it true? Isn't it true with our collective ignorance here that we could fix the problems of our world? If we just stopped the service right now and had a brief meeting, we'd come up with five-point solution, and we'd send it, we could all sign it, send it to him, and it would fix everything, right? Because God needs our help, doesn't he? From our limited perspective, we think that works, but it's, it doesn't work. We think we're God, so we think God needs our advice when we pray. We think God needs good ideas. As someone said, we reduce him to a cosmic bellboy who is neither uh, very bright or very reliable. That is not God, guys. That is not him. Listen, if God were unkind enough to answer all of our prayers in the way we prescribe them and the timing that we ask, we would be the worst for it, wouldn't we? He is a kind and gentle shepherd and savior over us. And we need to be real careful on how we pray. It doesn't mean you can't ask him for anything. It's all about the attitude. What's your attitude? You see, 
Habakkuk starts here with an attitude. God's being gracious to him. But uh, he started with an attitude, to be sure. God is not unkind. So our brains, listen, aren't big enough to see everything, but they are indeed small enough to make us think that we can see everything, right? And so we make judgments based upon that. It's a double whammy. You're caught either way. We misunderstand because our brains aren't big enough. We misunderstand because we think we're God. We misunderstand because uh, we think we're the center of the universe. You're familiar with, uh, uh, I know in, in the South we have this colloquialism. We talk about different things, and I've said it up here because I'm from the South. And it may be true for everywhere because I know everybody fries fish. But we say, uh, he's got bigger fish to fry. I've said that before. And I say it because I assume everybody knows what that means. Anybody here fry fish? I know you're for, for up north. Let me tell you something. You don't fry fish unless you have cornmeal. <laughs> All right? It ain't a fish fry. Talk to me about batter. There ain't no batter. You salt and pepper both sides. I'm just giving you a little advice. This is the side. It's not the paid part of the sermon. Salt and pepper both sides. Peanut oil in a black skillet. Almost on fire before you drop them in there. Not thick pieces. All right? And then, of course, cornmeal. And then, trust me, you'll like it. And if you can melt a a half an onion in that before you do that, even better. <laughs> so, but here's one of the other rules about frying fish is that you don't fry the little ones before the big ones. If you got big ones and little ones, you fry the big ones first because they're going to take longer. If you throw the little ones in there, you're going to have is they're going to be cooked or overdone. And by the time the big ones are done, they're going to be cold. So if you'll cook the big ones first and throw the little ones in later, right, it's just common sense, isn't it? So well, that's why we say if God's got bigger fish to fry, that's what it means. You bring, it, you bring in your little fish to him. You bring in your little fish to him, right? And, and um, he may just have bigger fish to fry. And by the way, that's the way you want him to. You wouldn't want him to fry the little fish first. You wouldn't like how that would turn out. So, so can we not bring our stuff to him, but at the same time understand that he may very well have bigger fish to fry and that we're all going to be the better for it? God, listen, we misunderstand because we act like we're the center of the universe. My requests matter the most, and it's my family and my church and my situation and my country or my town or whatever. And God may very well have bigger fish to fry. We ask, as it says in James, amiss. Sorry, we're not up there. Oh, there we go. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, it's all about you. And that's the problem, if that's true. That's a problem. We hardly ever stop to think that God may very well have something bigger in mind. And in fact, if he does, it's better for us if it goes his way and not the way we want, per se. So today's news is misunderstood by the best of us. Of course, it was true for Habakkuk. So, so we need to come to grips with some, several things, I believe, that are uh, necessary for us. And these are not going to be new things, but just things we got to need to be solid on. Because I don't know about you, but I'm having a problem with today's news. I really am. Number one, here's going to help us. Number one, today's news is under God's control. It's under God's control. I say that to see that, say this. He's the Lord of today's news, and the nations of the earth and all authorities are under his sovereign rule. That is the way it is. That is the way it doesn't have to look right for you. How many times has a shepherd done stuff with sheep that doesn't look right to them? The sheep don't get a vote. The sheep just vote, oh, we trust the shepherd. That's our vote. I trust the shepherd to follow the shepherd. I do what the shepherd says. I go where the shepherd tells me to go. That's, a, that's as smart as a sheep can get. When the, shepherd starts, when the sheep starts questioning the shepherd, oh, my goodness. 
Talk about adding insult to injury. That's, you got it right there. Today's news, listen, is under God's control. Listen carefully. God started today's news. He controls today's news, and he will end today's news. That is the God that we serve. That is who he is. No event has ever flamed up in spite of him. There is not a comparison between the forces of evil and the forces of good. It's not, there's no equality. Really, when we say Satan is the enemy of God, it is, but it isn't true. Yes, he's opposed to God, but enemy assigns to say that, at least in my mind, maybe not all the English-speaking people here, but in my mind, to say he's an enemy is to assign some kind of uh, equality to him, status to him in comparison to God. There's no comparison between the creator and that which he created. Satan is only doing what he's being allowed to do. And again, you may have a problem with the fact that God's allowing him to do stuff. And and I've just got to say, you've got yourself a problem because he is allowing it. There is no authority apart from God. And God is allowing sin and our choices of sin and our choice of a dark Lord opposed to the God of light. He's allowing those choices to play out. And that's what's happening. And no, it's not fun and it's not going to get pretty. It's going to get a lot uglier before it's all over. But that is what's happening. God is in control of that. He has never been anything other than in control of that. No event has ever flayed up in spite of him. Nothing has ever left him astonished. He's never been confused, ever. Not true for us, right? The Babylonians, as an example, thought it was, they thought I had a stroke of luck. Look what happened. We took over the Ninevites and we conquered, we conquered the, the uh, Egyptians and we marched on the city of God and carted off all his stuff. Stroke of luck. Nope. God let them. God raised them up for that purpose. He tells us here some 25 years in advance here in the book of Habakkuk. So today's news, God is in control of. Number two, today's news follows God's timetable. This is, it doesn't make sense. Well, right, it doesn't. But it is right on time. We are right where we're supposed to be. We're right where we're supposed to be. God is in control. Things are making progress, even though downhill nonetheless. But they are going the way God wants them to go. It appears random, it appears accidental, but it is not. Habakkuk didn't see how it all fit together and how it would all work out. But looking, look, look, as I said, looking back now, almost 3,000 years after the day of Habakkuk, we can say we can put a lot of the pieces back together. So you know what, Habakkuk, I know it didn't make sense from where you were, but from where we are, it did. Sure does. You know what happened? Of course, the Babylonians do come. They do conquer Jerusalem. They do cart off the Jews. Guess what the Jews took with them when they went to Babylon? This. The Bible. The Word of God. They were protectors of it. The oracles of God, the Old Testament, they carried it with them. And when they got there, guess what they started doing? They started translating it into Gentile languages. I don't know about you, but I'm a Gentile. I'm kind of grateful for that. And in addition, as they go, they scattered them, didn't they? So now you've got these people who, though not doing right, but who knew the one that was right and who had the word that was right, scattering among people who are going to sacrifice to their fishing nets for they're that messed up, taking the truth to them. And you have the influence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, uh, Esther, these Esther's uncle, Mordecai, who are, who are influencing heads of state of Gentiles. This has never happened before, you see. The Jews only affected the Jews. They stayed in their little spot. 
But God sent them out, you see, unbeknownst to them. Now, they were not the willing uh, party in that, but nonetheless, they went, didn't they? And so, and then, and then comes the Persians, and the Persians, the same thing. Of course, Daniel's in Babylonian and Persian. Of course, Esther was under a Persian king. Her husband was a Persian king, and she was a Jewish. Wow. And so the influence of the Jews begins to pervade into the Gentile world. And then along comes the Greeks who conquer the Persians after the Babylonians and the Persians. And then, then comes the Greeks, and the Greeks bring something incredibly important for your Bible. They bring something called the Koine Greek language invented by Alexander the Great. God help us if the original translation of the Bible had been in English. We would be in so much trouble. English is such a wiggly language, so rudimentary compared to the Koine Greek. What a pristine language. 200 years before the birth of Christ, the Old Testament is translated, it's called the Septuagint, into the Koine Greek so thankful for that because we have this more difficult language called Hebrew translated in a very precise language of the Koine Greek. And then the entire New Testament is written originally in the Greek. And so now we have this document that's able to trans transpose over time and affect people and have very little wiggle room and things haven't changed. And we found documents of it way prior to Christ and we've compared it to the documents we have today. And guess what we found? No mistakes, no changes. God knew what he was doing, you see. And then, and then who, who comes next? Well, then comes the Romans, and what good could they be? The, 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 the dominion of iron, they were called. Marched and trampled and destroyed everything, everything Greek, everything Persian, everything Babylonian, gone. What could they possibly bring to the table? Well, one thing they did is they brought crucifixion to Jerusalem. Anybody grateful for that? I'm not grateful for the hundreds of people who died in Jerusalem otherwise on a cross. But I am grateful for one who died on a cross. As predicted in Psalm 22, there wasn't a, even a Roman in existence, much less a Babylonian, when God predicts through David in Psalm 22 that the Messiah would be crucified. I'm grateful for that. And then they were so efficient in dispersing people, they took the Jews who had been scattered already and the completed book of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and they pushed them all over the world, didn't they? So you're here because somebody reached your ancestors. Somebody got to them. And all because of these pagans? Yep, because it worked exactly like God intended. It worked exactly like he wanted it to. It rolled out just the way he planned it. Not the way we could see it, not the way we make sense. It'd be even more so as it, as it was true for Habakkuk. Uh, you wouldn't have believed it if I had told you, oh, how much more? If we had known the whole story. So today's news follows us in God's timetable and then the third thing and most maybe most importantly god's today's news is bound up with god's kingdom god's kingdom is the real news it's not the border wall you know we build in a border up there and of course the canadians are building a border to keep us out let me just say, say something to you and i know we're inflamed about that because here we are in south texas and all all that and we you know everybody's got opinions and, and you're welcome to them keep them to yourself frankly <laughs> but um of, of, what, of what importance is the border wall going to be 50 years from now when 99% of the people in this room are dead? With a few exceptions. 50 years from now? What's, what's it going to matter? A hill of beans. When you're dead, and I mean, a lot of us are going to be dead and gone a long time, right? I, I will be 102 if, that were, if I was still here. Pray to God that I'm not here. I'm already sick of this place. <laughs> so that's the, that's the real news. The real news is making me ill. 
So uh, uh, let's, let's make sure that we're putting our energies and our monies and our passions to stuff that matters. And not getting inflamed with stuff that really is not in a long term going to matter. Not. It's not. Listen, God is not building America or Russia or anyone else. God is building his church in America and Russia. That's the real news. What is God doing? God is saving people. He's rescuing people. Flee the wrath that is to come, he's saying. You think this is bad, you haven't seen anything yet. We're nowhere close to it yet. That's the real news. That God is redeeming people and making their lives matter, not just in this life, but in the next life. That's the real stuff. That's where our money needs to go. That's where our energies need to go. That's where our efforts need to go. I'm not saying don't vote and don't be an American and don't, you know, serve in political party, whatever you want to do. But listen, where's your real stuff? That can only be a means to an end. It ought to be not an end in itself. A means to an end to reach people who are involved in those things. If you're not in it for any other reason, get out. Because listen, there is something more important going on. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the real news. It's the real news. It's what's really happening. So I want to give you a glimpse of the, what's happening in the local kingdom of God. We, we I, at least this time of year, traditionally have brought up what I call the state of our union here at Island Baptist Church. Just to kind of tell you, many of you are members of the church, of course, and then of you, others of you have been attending here a long time, have contributed to the church, have acted like members of the church in the way that you serve here and, and the way that you give and the way you pray for us and the way you're consistent with us following this ministry. So I want to give you a, just a, a brief smattering of the kind of stuff that God has done in this past year. God has blessed us, I'm sure most of you are aware, with some great food pantries here, which again are a means to an end. We don't just feed people. We're looking for an avenue into their lives, spiritual avenue. But until you deal with their physical issues, then it's hard to get a spiritual conversation with a person who's hungry, right? Who's going through a difficult time. So God has blessed us. Like, for instance, in Laguna Heights, we gave away this past year 54,000 pounds of food through that ministry. This is ministry, by the way, that money is, doesn't come out of our budget. It comes straight, out of, straight from people in the church that actually give to a food, food bank, and that food bank supplies our food pantry, both in Laguna Heights and here uh, on the island. On the island, we have also a food pantry. We gave away a total of 140,000 pounds of food here just this past year. That's a lot of food, in case you wondered. That's a, not, a, not one or two trucks full, to be sure. God has blessed us with those kind of ministries, and through those ministries, we've been able to rehome beds and dishes and household items. Even someone, one of our winter Texans, likes to go to... Uh, hobby shops and to uh, garage sales and buy these broken down watches because he can fix them and he puts batteries in them and gives them to us and we just give them away because, because we want to bless people because we would like to have an avenue, uh, earn an avenue into their lives to speak to spiritual truth uh, in them. God has blessed us with that. We've given away almost $7,000 just in cash this year. We don't just hand them out, by the way. If you're coming by to ask, don't ask me because I don't have the power to do that. We have a committee that oversees this, 25 different families, helping them with financial needs, usually paying bills or something to that effect. But again, helping them. We take a benevolent offering four times a year for that, and it just, just to give you an accounting of what's going on there. God continues to bless. I'm sure if, if you've been a part of our church of how, how blessed we have been in the youth and the children, how God has used, used both, those, uh, both those groups. Uh, we have, uh, in our children's ministry, we've seen, we see 43 kids every week that are on this property 
33 kids that are on the property that we have in Laguna Heights. Uh, not too dissimilar numbers for the junior high, I think 30 some, 36 kids on a Tuesday night. Uh, youth is around 17 or 20 on Wednesday nights. Then we have a sixth grade that happens on Thursday nights, which is another uh, 18 or 20 kids. And so God is blessing us with almost the same number of the people in this room and just kids every single week. That's a great blessing, an incredible ministry that God is using, and God bless the workers and the servants who are working in those. But uh, in Laguna Heights, again, our, our, our other campus, we have uh, things like Mommy and Me that go on there, helping young ladies deal with their, their young kids and how to be better moms and how to take care of their kids. Again, ministry, helping with known needs. English is a second language class, 27 ladies involved in that. Uh, sewing class, eight different ladies, just teaching them life skills. Ladies' Bible study this past year, special events like school supply giveaway, 70 different children. Uh, we gave away school supplies, both, both um, uh, youth and, and children. Family fiesta this past summer, 160 people involved in that fiesta over there in Laguna Heights. Uh, uh, vacation Bible schools, we have one coming up in the week of spring break. There's going to be a vacation Bible school out there at, at Laguna Heights. We had one last year. We had a couple during the summer. We're going to have a couple this year, most likely, God willing. We also have an ongoing vacation Bible school every Tuesday, every Thursday. Kids that come in uh, that, that are a part of 38 involved, like an ongoing every single, every single week uh, vacation Bible school for the entire summer. Uh, projects like the Glory Project, which was something started in 2015, sort of our springboard in those communities was the circumstances that we had with the young ladies in our, in our local school district. We averaged the highest uh, teen pregnancy rate in the nation for years here. We were beating wherever you're from. We were beating you in a category we wouldn't want to win at. And so what was God saying to us and what he's calling us to do? Well, this glory project came as a, as a result of prayer and, and thought, a glory project reaching out to these young ladies to help them cope and deal with the circumstances. 66 ladies have been involved in that since 2015. Uh, 30 are still active in other programs here in Island Baptist or over in Laguna Heights, here in this location or that location. And, and a number of these, like the Noel Project, the ESL, the glory project, are all things that don't come out of our budget. We don't budget for these. They're just simply offerings and gifts that people get, and they operate really well uh, just based upon that. And so, again, God is just blessing us here. God is blessing us. That's the real news. God's using people, and God is changing lives, and we're, we're, things are happening here. I don't know if you noticed that door was not here last Sunday. Did y'all see how perceptive y'all are? Y'all are sleeping through the whole service. That door was not there last Sunday, but it is this Sunday just because we're doing stuff here. And the reason why we're starting to do stuff here on this campus is because we have decided as a church to sell our church property. We have almost 12 acres, or they still have, but we're in the process of selling almost 12 acres up here, up north of here. And uh, believing that God had sent us up there, but then never figuring out why God had not allowed us to build up there. And uh, believing that God's telling us to sell, to invest more in this property, and hopefully God willing to buy the property just to the north. We have an entire city block just past these, this wall right here. And so would you help us pray, as I told the other congregation, that that one up there would sell for $10 million, and if they would sell us this for a million and leave us $9 million over if we could build a fabulous structure. <laughs> God can do anything, right? You ask him whatever you want. He doesn't have to. So, but, but God is blessing us that way. We're, God willing, also going to have an elevator in this building. Next time you winter Texans are back around, we're going to have an elevator to be able to use our upstairs more effectively. And basically, we have some people using it, but we're going to do it. There's the first lady to offer a million dollars right there. Thank you. <laughs> you would, Sister Carr. I know you would, but you don't have it. I know you don't. 
So, so what's the real news? The real news is that God is working among his people. Not just true for this church. It's true everywhere where, where God is honored and Jesus is exalted. God is working. That's the real news. That's what's going to matter 25, 50 years from now when we're all gone. That's, gonna, that's all that's going to matter to us. That's what's going to make the difference. The lives that were changed and the impact that was made. Today's news, no matter how terrible, does not separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We forget that. Here, look, look, look at what it says. You will hear, what, of wars and rumors of wars. Isn't that where we are? we got culture wars. we got race wars. we got political wars. we got border wars. we got all kinds of wars happening. Now, what does he tell us to do? See to it, right? See to it that you are not alarmed. How are you doing with that? How's it going? Just every day, right? It's a battle I fight every day. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end, so this isn't it. It's not the real news. It's not the real news. The real news is something altogether different. That's where you're going to find God working. I'm not saying he's not in charge of these things, that he's not allowing these things. He is. And it always has a means. It's a means to an end, and that end is coming. But in, in the meantime, though, we need to be involved in what the real news is. Like I said, no matter how terrible the news is, it will not separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, from his purposes that he has for us. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus says, right? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them. I want to ask you please to bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we think on the things that God has said to us today. God, I thank you that you're in charge, that you're in control, and though we may confess we don't like the way you're doing it, we do know in our hearts that it's good. Forgive us, God, for assuming a position other than being sheep, pretending like we're you or like you need our advice or that we're the center of the universe, God. Help us to realize that our brains are really too small in many cases to comprehend all that you're doing, but that you do ask us, and it's the best thing for us, that we trust you. So, God, we just want to say that we trust you. Help us to take our attention off of stuff that doesn't deserve that attention and put it on things that do, that need it desperately. Help us, God, to give our hearts and our lives and our souls for what really is the news out there, which is your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.